0: Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 432 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am Jason Evans. These are crazy times, folks. If you thought the transfer portal and name, image, and likeness were bringing big-time changes to college sports, well, allow me to introduce you to the super conferences. The Big Ten's move last week to grab USC and UCLA has sent seismic shockwaves through the upper reaches of the NCAA, and it's put the ACC... On notice that we may be next. There's talk that UNC, Clemson, Virginia, and who knows who else could be on the move, and Duke Duke appears to be in play, so to speak. Of course, the ACC's grant of media rights, which is not up until 2036, makes it very difficult for anyone to leave the conference right now. Look, we here at the DBR Podcast have gotten tons of emails and messages from those of you who want us to talk about all this, and we're certainly going to very soon but it feels like anything we say right now would be a little more than baseless speculation. I wanna add that this stuff is not something where there are sources that can help you out very much. I mean, even if I had a direct line to John Shire or Mike Elko or Coach K, I wouldn't know very much about this because this is above even their pay grade. The usual folks who give us the lowdown on recruiting or how things are going in practice, they have no clue about what's happening with conference affiliation. These discussions involve school presidents, boards of trustees, and maybe athletic directors. It's just not something that we're privy to. Anyway, all that is a long way of saying we won't be discussing the elephant in the room on this edition of the DBR Podcast. Instead, we're about to bring you an interview we conducted just a week or two ago with two really fun former Dukies, Ryan Kelly and his brother, Sean Kelly. These are two guys who each have a national championship ring on their fingers from the 2010 and 2015 teams. And as you can imagine, the sibling playfulness and rivalry on display in this interview makes it one of the more fun chit chats we've had in our history here at the DBR Podcast. So without any further ado, I invite you to enjoy our interview with the Kelly brothers. All right, Duke fans, we
1: have a very special treat for you today. Uh, This is not the first time that we have talked to uh, former members of the brotherhood, former Duke men's basketball players. Uh, But today we are talking to a pair of brothers uh, combined. I think they total over 13 feet of Duke basketball excellence and national championships. Of course, we are speaking with Ryan and Sean Kelly. Ryan, of course, graduated in 2013, Sean in 2015, both members of national championship winning teams Ryan in 2010, Sean in 2015. Sean was also a manager for the Duke men's basketball team for a few years before joining. Of course Ryan Kelly, the owner of numerous great highlights for the Duke Blue Devils in his 4 years on campus, Kelly Brothers, welcome to the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Thanks so much for being here.
2: I appreciate it yeah, Good to be here. Thanks for having us.
1: Absolutely. Uh, uh, and and while you're answering, just uh, if you could do us the favor of of making sure we we know who's who when you're answering the questions so that you're not uh, stepping over each other, that would be great. I'm gonna hand it over to Donald, who is going to get started. Uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna do the questions today in chronological order, so I think we're gonna start with some questions from way back in high school times. Donald, why don't you take it away?
3: Yeah, for sure. And we want to start just taking you back to high school not too long ago. You guys are still young men in our eyes. So uh, you attended Ravenscroft, which is kind of more focused, uh, or at least known more for academics than basketball. And Ryan, you were kind of a late bloomer on the circuit growing up as a, in high school. So how was your experience different from that of your Duke classmates and other guys you've played in the ACC and the NBA?
4: Well, first of all, I was very fortunate to go to a place like Ravenscroft because while it didn't have like, you know, obviously, is a great academic school to be able to play for Kevin Billerman, former Duke player, a former Duke captain, uh, pre-coach K, um, who had been a college coach. Um, so I, I got to be in a program that was, you know, really awesome from a coaching perspective. Um, and like you said, I was it was a lot about development for me and, and something I've always prided in myself is getting a little bit better every year. Um, that was how my new career went and how more people saw me, but that was kind of really how my high school, excuse me, career went as well. And, um, you know, I was always tall. I was a skinny kid. Um, and I just kind of had to grow into my body. Um, and that takes time. And nowadays, I think a lot of times it's like, you gotta be ready to go right away. Um, and my, my story was definitely a story, and my story continues to be a, a career of development of, um, you know, getting a little better every year, getting a few percentage points better. And, um, you know, that's when I look back on. it. I went from this scrawny little kid um, freshman year of high school to uh, scrawny, a little bit older kid my senior year. You,
3: you mentioned that due connection that you have with your coach being a part of Brotherhood you committed to Duke pretty early on in your senior year, a little bit earlier than most people do. Did that help in your process? And it just what made you feel so confident about knowing that Duke was the place for
4: you? i say at the time it didn't, you know, we grew up in North Carolina and Raleigh for most of our life after moving from New York. And my mom was the principal of the elementary school at Ravenscroft and then eventually the head of the entire school. And, um, you know, we come down into ACC country. Everybody has a favorite team, and um, thankfully, some parents would often give my mom a couple of tickets on like a Wednesday night game or something like that, and say, "You know, we can't make it. You can go." Um, so I, we always said we're fans of whoever gives some tickets. So we would, you know, we'd go to NC State, to Wake Forest, or UNC, a Duke game, um, but also that was awesome to be able to just experience all of that. Um, And then when it came time to being recruited by some awesome schools that were a great match academically and with basketball, um, my coach, Kevin Billerman he was not pushy in that sense at all. Um, He was, I I took all my official visits. Um, I I met some awesome people as players, coaches, um, and honestly, I I always tell the story, it really was like a gut feeling. And I always made sure when I went on my visits, I, I played pickup with the team. I don't even know if you can do that now or not. I don't know what the rules are, but back then I would play pick up with the team wherever I made my visit. And most places I went, the the team clearly had been told by the coach, like get Ryan the ball, make sure he gets shots, make him feel good. And I went to Duke and it was as if I was already on the roster and I was coming for somebody's spot. So they weren't going to let me have it. Um, and, <laughs> uh, John and Nolan at one point got into a shoving match. I'm like, whoa, like, I, you know. <laughs> uh, but but I appreciated the, the competitiveness and the the drive. And I, you know, felt camaraderie in that. And that was honestly, that was a big, like, gut reason that I ended up going to
0: Duke. Hey, wait, let me jump in really quick and ask, Ryan, when you came to Duke and you played in that pickup game where it was really intense, who who was the guy who was, like, the most crazy of anybody out there?
4: Well, the thing I remember the most is John and Nolan <laughs> were on opposite teams and on a game point, you know, one of those, this a foul, not a foul things. And, uh, my parents were sitting there watching and they're like, you know, they're best of buddies, but they're like, you know, yelling at each other. Oh, that's not a foul. <laughs> and I'm this, you know, high school kid. and I'm like, Whoa, like this is another world. Uh, but I, I, that I clearly remember, um, that, that stuck with me for sure.
3: And real quick, you mentioned that you guys were fans of whoever tickets you had at the moment, right? You, you got to experience that living in Tobacco Road. Did that add a little bit to maybe the pressure of going to Duke or at
4: least choosing Duke? Um, I wouldn't say so. I, I had, a you know, obviously a super supportive family um, who both my parents being our parents being in academics, they um, felt like. Academics was just as important as the game, Um, so once the opportunity, and and all the schools were great academically, but Duke, you know, is awesome in that front, Um, so to be able to get a Duke degree was something that they thought would be an awesome opportunity, and I mean, the funniest part was as I went on, a lot of my high school classmates went to UNC, went to NC State, Wake Forest, um, and they were probably the ones that were yelling at me or cursing at me the most once the games rolled around. (laughs)
1: So I want to talk a little bit about Sean as well. Uh, Sean was not, if I'm reading correctly, uh, Sean was not on the basketball team in high school, but played a lot of baseball, presumably, given that you did eventually walk on to the Duke basketball team, uh, which is no joke of an accomplishment in and of itself. uh, Did you guys get to play pickup against each other at all in high school? I figure that Ryan had a bit of a size advantage, but that uh, the competition might have been fierce nonetheless.
2: Yeah, we did. Uh, we did some open gyms. I, I was very non committal in high school to really anything. Um, and so I flip flop between identifying as just a baseball player and also a basketball player. Um, at that point, the program was good enough that if you weren't all in, you weren't going to make the team. Um, and so I was at, uh, in fact, this is a fun story. I was at pickup one time with Ryan and I I can't exactly remember the sequence, but I was in the post and he was on the wing and there were some college coaches there and you fed me in the post and I think I kicked it back out and he hit a three and um, one of the college coaches that was recruiting him at the time, an assistant, wrote us both letters, separate letters, you know, because they want to feel, you know, they want little brother to feel engaged too. And, uh, and made mention of the fact that it seemed silly that the 6'11 guy was post-speed in that time, six-foot guy, and that we had a flip-flop. But uh, we did play
4: play a little bit together. To, to add to that story, we grew up our whole life playing two-on-two with two of our best friends. Actually, my high school coach's two sons, Kevin Billerman's two sons, who are two of our best friends, literally our whole life, going to the gym, Playing two on two uh, to a hundred full court, um, which often ended in a wrestling match. Um, but yeah, we we play a lot of lot of basketball together. Yeah, two we, on
1: two full court uh, to a hundred sounds like it should end in everybody falling over dead at the end of the game.
2: <laughs> You'd be surprised. That was every manager pickup basketball game for three years for me.
1: We're we're going to come back and, and and talk about the the Duke managers in a minute. I want to pivot uh, now to to talk about. Uh, both of your times at Duke, but I guess we'll start with Ryan since he was since he was there before Sean was. Uh, I don't remember how much this was a discussion point during your freshman season, Ryan. But I know that in subsequent years there was a lot of conversation about the possibility of you having redshirted in your in your freshman season. Can you tell me a little bit about if that conversation existed at all during your freshman year? What that was like, and and your now you know having having gone through that. Uh, that whole experience looking back uh, what you would have thought about that at the time.
4: Yeah. So it never was a conversation with me. Um, Who knows if my parents had that conversation uh, with coach or anything like that. Um, In in retrospect, I was not physically ready when I came to Duke Um, but from a mental state. I don't know that I would have like accepted it. Um, you know, I still felt like I was a really good player. I was, you know, player of the year in North Carolina. I was a McDonald's all American. Um, but like many, a player that goes to Duke, you get there and realize, well, every single one of these guys is all that. (laughs) Um, so I definitely had that realization, but, um, I was, it really wasn't on my mind. It wasn't something that came to me. Um, And again, in retrospect, I I probably needed to. I needed to get my body in a position where I could stand up to the strength of of ACC basketball. Um, But at the time, I don't know that I would have jumped on board. I was stubborn. I I am a stubborn guy. That had gotten me to that point. So uh, um, that's that's not an easy thing to accept if it wasn't something that was expected.
0: Hey, Ryan, um, I want to go back to your 2013 season really quick. And that was really that was sort of the last Coach K team that had a lot of veterans on it, you know, sort of starting after that, Duke gets much more into one and done freshman kind of players. And, and obviously, you were hurt a lot of that year. How much do you think your injury affected that team's chance to 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 win another? Nat- I mean, I know you won a national title in 2010. You didn't play a, as big a role, obviously, on that team as you did later on in your career. But, you know, I think a lot of folks feel like that 2013 team was robbed of some things when when you went down and it, it hurt some chemistry. Just talk us through that a bit.
4: Yeah, I mean, the NCAA tournament is so unpredictable. Um, but we certainly would have had a chance. Uh, you know, when I broke my foot, that was the second time I had broken my foot, um, half, you know, beginning of January of that year. Um, and I had been playing really well. I started the ACC off really well. Um, I feel like I might have been against Clemson when I broke my foot. Um, And I believe I – I'm not even – it's just wild. At that point, I think I outscored Clemson at half myself. I had like 17 or 19 points, and we held them to like 15 or something. But I was playing really well, and I broke my foot right before half. Um, But then it was this huge decision about coming back and trying to play or whether I had surgery. The surgery was going to end my year, and it was basically have surgery – recover and I'd be ready to do pre-draft stuff um for the NBA draft or you know let it rest try and come back um and play on it and um inevitably after about 20 doctors having a look at it I found one who said if you were my kid I'd tell you to go play it's your senior year. Um, so I listened to that one and um you know, obviously had the biggest game of my career coming back, but my foot was still broken. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I had a couple of good games, but my body just deteriorated um, as we rode into the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament. And I wasn't able to be myself. Um, and, you know, I was a pretty important part of what we did in terms of the spacing for for Mason, for Seth, I kind of played a bit of a point forward with our offense um, and, and commanded our defense a little bit. And um, with that injury, I was just not able um, – I, I don't like to admit this, but I'm not the most athletic guy out there on the court. And when my foot was broken and I was having a cast inside of my shoe, um, I, I really couldn't move to the level that was, was needed at that point. And, um, so to answer your question – Sure, we, we absolutely would have had a chance. Um, and, and to be honest, we had a chance even being hurt. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? That's part of life. You get hurt, it's part of the game. Um, I've spent my whole season this season, was I was hurt. So that's just part of basketball.
3: So they say that, you know, a setback leads to an epic comeback. And for you, that Miami game was your epic comeback. I know we all talk about it as the Ryan Kelly game. Is that your favorite, or at least your, your, what you call your shining moment in your regular season
0: career, at Duke?
4: Yeah. I mean, that's the most memorable for sure. Um, you know, that was literally.
0: Hey, wait, wait. Do you remember how many points you scored? Uh,
4: I believe 36, right? You got it. Yep. 36. Um, and texted me after the game that he was mad he didn't get 40. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. So, like, it was only a couple weeks before that i finally made the decision that i was gonna try and come back like i said i was talking to all these doctors it was a big decision talking to the training staff the coaches um and they were obviously super supportive of whatever i did um because my foot was broken (laughs) um and i had a screw so i had a screw from my first broken foot in my fifth metatarsal and the screw the bone broke again and the screw was just like doing a windshield wiper in the middle of my bone. Um, so once I decided to come back, yeah, not, not nice. Um, once I decided to come back, I was like, all right, let's go for it. But it was like a slow ramp up because I couldn't move. Um, they had to get that, like I said, a cast that kind of looked like a clamshell that went around my foot. Um, and then I had to like stuff that in my shoe. That was just awful. Um, I still have scars on my feet to this day uh a foot to this day because of it um but I only practiced one time the day before the game with the team literally one time um and coach it it was like a day before the game practice so it was light and coach um was like well you look good you want to play and I was like well there's only a few games left so let's go for it and I and I this is no lie. I didn't think I was really going to play. Like I thought it was like, all right, we'll get Ryan back out there. He'll be on the bench, you know, in uniform. And so I called my parents. I was like, ah, I'm going to dress out. But, you know, probably not. I don't know what I'm going to. I don't know what I'm going to play, maybe a few seconds, but I'll be out there. And then I went through warmups the next day. My parents decided to come at the last second. They were they, they had been in and out of coming. And then they were like, oh, we will go, you know, it'd be cool to see him back out there again. And uh, right before the game, right before we were doing the huddle, he goes, all right, Ryan, you're going to start. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Um, Still at this moment, I'm like, "Okay, this is one of those like go out there and start. We'll pull you right away. Like, you know, you just go out there and motivate us because we had gotten beaten up pretty bad at Miami. And they were a very good team. Um, And. Actually, I think individually my coolest moment as a player was when I got, uh, from my career at Duke, was when I got announced for the starting lineup. And the reception I got from the crowd, um, that gives me, Coach K would say that gives me chills. It does give me chills um, just thinking about that. Uh, and then we got back to the huddle, and Coach drew up a play just for me to get a shot. It was first play, draw for me, it was a back screen, pop to the, kind of high wing and worked perfectly. I popped out, shot it, missed. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm coming out.
0: You did not miss much in that game, though. (laughs) I
4: I didn't miss much after that. So, uh, yeah, I think the one time I ended up coming out, if I remember correctly, the only reason I actually asked to be subbed out because the the cast in my shoe was just tearing up my foot. So I was having the old bloody sock game, like – I had to come out to get new socks because my shoe was filling up with blood. It was just tearing up the inside of my foot. And I think that's the only time I came out of the game. Um, so yeah, that was, a, that was a pretty cool, obviously, memory to have. And, and my son now, he's old enough that he loves, sorry, i am going for a while, but my son now um, is old enough that he loves basketball. He's at basketball camp this week, actually, and uh, at Ravenscroft, but he, he loves watching the video that Duke put out where I'm coming back from my injury and like on YouTube or whatever. He loves seeing that now. Um, So that's pretty cool to be able to show him that story and have that history.
3: You hitting that shot, that three-pointer, then turning to the bench and yelling, I still got it. Like that's Duke lore right there. Like everyone remembers what that felt like. And if you were at the game, you just remember, oh, well, we're, we're about to win this one. This is a wrap. Like you kind of felt like nothing was going wrong that night.
0: And that Miami think, team was really good. They were top they were, five in the country. They were really good. They only had two ACC losses. That was one of them.
4: Yeah, they were, they were number two in the country, I believe, when we played on, on an ESPN poll or something. And uh, I honestly think I was yelling that probably at myself more than anything else. I don't think I, I was trying to convince anybody but myself that I still had it. Uh, you know, I, I think that's probably what it is. And, and the trying to keep the pain out of my mind. <laughs>
1: All right. Can we now that we've we've gotten through all the uh, all the gruesome details of the injury and the recovery? Can we bring uh, Sean into the conversation? I, I want to know. Uh, I guess we're we're going back in the timeline pre 2013. Sean, uh, how did you decide to to follow Ryan to Duke? What was that process like? Because I, as someone who also has an older brother, um, there was nothing that seemed le- less appealing to me than going to college with my brother.
2: Yeah. Um... Well, we, we were always close in high school. We, we each kind of had our own thing. And so it, it never felt like I didn't have space to be myself in high school. So that wasn't a huge concern for me. Um, what I was navigating was trying to decide um, between trying to play Division three baseball, um, trying to go to, like, a state school, like an NC State or a Carolina, just for financial reasons, just as much as academic, and um, Or I also applied to the Coast Guard Academy um, with, you know, I had seen the movie The Guardian. I don't know if you've seen it with Ashton Kutcher, but I was dead set on being Ashton Kutcher. Um, And so I went and visited Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut, met with their baseball coach. The first thing he asked me was, "Did you watch The Guardian?" <laughs> and I said, "As a matter of fact, I did." And he said, "Well, just so you know, the people that graduate from here fly the helicopters; they don't jump out of them." Um, and so that was a little reality check. But um, I applied to Duke a little bit at the last minute. Their uh, director of um, admissions spoke at our school, like on a tour of local schools. Um, I had a chance to just say a quick hello, and he said, "Are you applying?" And I said, "You know, I'm kind of looking more at..." I think I looked at NC State, Elon, had um, applied to a little school called Belmont Abbey with some baseball hopes. And um, he said, you know, it kind of encouraged me to at least think about applying. So I, I was a strong student, but not probably the top of the class. And so I was really, really well-rounded. I was president of multiple clubs, community service, captain of teams and things. And so um, I applied early decision, which at Duke is binding. So if, if you're accepted, you're, you're accepting your enrollment. And so I did that very much so that I could just know that I did or didn't get in. It was clearly the best academic option. So it was more just about, well, if I'm disappointed, I just want to know. I don't want to wait until March to, to be let down. And um, so I applied and ended up uh, getting in. It was a very stressful day and uh got the news in our home office our family still has the home home office uh and uh my parents were there you you were not you think you were at duke and uh, and then we went to duke and ryan uh took us out to the WA duke back when you could spend food points at the wad and uh, so we got treated to a nice dinner
1: and how did you decide then to uh to be sitting on the bench uh grabbing all of ryan's dirty towels for three years
2: well actually, he suggested that I don't. Um, I had a roommate. His name is Ian McKearn and he was also a manager, and we roomed together because we had a mutual interest in playing pickup basketball every day. And so we found each other you know in the Facebook group, roomed up, uh, and we were playing pickup in Brody, which is freshman's gym, freshman campus gym. and uh, there were flyers. That's where they'd recruit for managers. And so we saw this flyer and talked about it. And we both worked in the basketball office as interns. That was our work study. I don't know if they still do that, but they had students that their work study could be, you know, answer phones, file, those kind of things. And so um, he said he was going to go for it. I called Ryan and he, he wasn't saying don't do it because of me, but he was just saying, you better know what the job really entails because if you think it's just you get to sit on the bench with a stat sheet, uh, that's not that's not what it is. It's more hours. You're there early. You stay late. You're loading up the plane. You're making Gatorade. You're cutting film. And uh, so he said, if you're going to do it, know what it is. Uh, and so I did anyway. <laughs> and um, and it's a full I mean, we, shirt and tie interview in the basketball office sitting across the table from all the other managers that are returning and the director of ops. Uh, It's a real, it was my first real job interview experience. And so um, I met with a couple of the younger managers before that, just to see, you know, are these people that I could see myself spending as many hours as is required. And uh, we hit it off and so applied and got it. And uh, yeah, there were ups and downs during it.
1: I can tell you that the, uh, the interview to be the Duke mascot, at least as of like 15 years ago, was much less involved than the process that you just described. So I think you went for the harder job in that role. I think we have one burning question that many Duke fans need the answer to. Uh, At halftime, before the games, or during the games, right at the beginning of halftime, the managers all run extremely quickly back to the locker room across the court. Can you explain to me the whole, uh, the whole meaning behind that sprint that seems very dangerous?
2: Yeah. So there's a couple of reasons. One, the the job of managers is to have everything ready before anybody needs it ready so that you're not interrupting the flow of planning, communication. So when the team gets in at halftime, it's already there's talking, there's conversation, guys are saying we're good, you know, talking about little things. And so the whole point of the run, well, there's two, is one to get in there and beat all of that. So that if someone goes, can you toss me a Gatorade? Can you grab, you know, the bubble in my shoe popped? Can you get my extra shoes? Whatever it is, you're already there. Um, but the other sort of logistical piece is that every door in Cameron is coded. You can't just walk into any door in Cameron. And so to hold the door so that the players are not held up at the door, make it, you know, imagine you're, you're just down three on a buzzer beater at half and you're trying to put the code in and you're putting it in wrong. So we're trying to avoid that as well. So the idea is, get there first, open it all up. And also once that gap in that corner of Cameron is closed with fans and media, it's awfully hard to get through. And so the whole idea is just get there first. Got it. All right. I, wait, I wait, like wait, to- hold on, hold on. Yes. I, I
0: have to ask, did anyone ever run it? Did any of the managers ever collide with anybody? Because it looks like, I mean, like it's something at a top gun. They're moving so fast.
2: <laughs> it's come close. Uh, I, I don't recall anyone in my time doing it. But it's gotten close, because at this time, when I was a manager, it's since changed, we wore dress shoes. So they now, they've switched to black Nike sneakers. But when we were there, we had these dress shoes. So imagine you're trying to sprint across a gym floor. And
0: loafers, oh my God. And loafers
2: (laughs) that scuff the floor when you're wiping the sweat. It was was a recipe for disaster. Uh, Luckily, I don't think it ever struck.
1: So, Sean, you eventually joined the, the team as a walk-on in your senior year, uh, and, and I don't know how much credit you want to take, but the team did win the national championship that season with you uh, finally in uniform. So uh, we'll let you hash it out here uh, officially. Which of the championship teams that you two played on uh, was the better one between 2010 and 2015?
2: I've heard this argument before, not between
1: us. We haven't had well, this argument well, well, Matt, well, you, well, you have to have this argument. I, I don't care what anyone else says. This is the, this is the official Kelly family take on, on this question.
2: I have a hard time seeing anybody stop Julia Okafor, even Zubes. I,
4: I see uh, quite a bit of veteran leadership on our squad um, that have been through it. And obviously, it's hard to argue between national championship teams. We both won it all. Um, You know, we were still in a time where a lot of veteran teams out there, and we had to fight through a lot of veteran teams. You were going through some younger teams, some guys who hadn't been there as much. Wisconsin? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. (laughs) Had Frank Kaminsky, Sam Decker, Koenig? No.
2: No. Um, No. I would say that people forget how veteran laid in the 2015 team was. Quinn Cook was phenomenal. I will continue to sing his praises till the day that I die. Uh, Matt Jones and Emil Jefferson were phenomenal, phenomenal leaders that also contributed on the court. That's a really important balance. Uh, Marshall Plumley came on during the season. Those were our four kind of vets with our four freshmen because that was the eight is enough team. And so and you and me <laughs> and me just making sprint times. <laughs>
0: uh, okay, so. Uh, Ryan, I do want to, I'm sorry, Sean, I do want to ask one more question about your specifically your time at Duke. And then I want to get to some stuff about what you guys have been doing since then. But um, y- you in your Duke career as a, as a player attempted one shot, I believe it was a three pointer. That's right. Take me through the story. You know, Ryan told us the story of the 36 point game against Miami. I want the story of Sean Kelly's one field goal attempt in a Duke uniform.
2: It's one perfect disaster. I can tell you that. <laughs> Uh, early in the season, we might have been playing Presbyterian. I can't remember, but one of those smaller schools. And at halftime, you typically have an idea in those games if you're going to get to go in as a walk-on. But this is my first year early in the season, so I, I'm like, coach may never call on me because he has no idea what I could, you know, bring in these kind of cleanup minutes. So I get checked in, or first at halftime. I normally don't warm up just pass to help everybody get ready but it's clear we're going to win handily so i throw up a couple shots and i'm missing short on every shot so in my mind i go when you check in if you get the chance don't miss short cuz you're tired you're just emotionally tired from you know the whole scene so i check in and i'm on the left wing i'm deep diagonal from the hoop and it gets swung over to me. I don't even remember. Maybe Nick Pagliuca swung it over or something. And I caught it. And I was like, You shoot. You, this is why you're here. You get in in this time and you shoot. So I launch it. And I remember in my mind going, Don't miss short. What I did not take into consideration was the first time you play in front of that many people in a loud gym that are really, really excited, your adrenaline is like on max. And so. I let it go and I, I put it up and I remember looking up and going, that's a bucket. I've done this a million times. That's it. Uh, and air ball long.
0: <laughs>
2: and so it was at an angle that there was no backboard to catch. It was like a perfect little rainbow, just a little long. And uh, and I remember being just inconsolable after the game and going up to my, my dad was there. and He came up and he goes, Sean, anyone that's played basketball shot an air ball. And, uh, and now I coach kids and I tell them all the time, they get embarrassed when they shoot a bad shot and I go, guys, I'm over one with an air ball. It's going to be okay.
0: <laughs> I love it. Great story. All right. So, like I said, I want to get to the post Duke career, Ryan, I want to start with you. You played in the NBA for a few years, a couple of really successful years, with the Lakers. I think you were on my Atlanta Hawks for a brief period of time. Talk about the transition. Cause man, they they're, they're playing adult men ball <laughs> in the NBA, aren't they?
4: They definitely are. Yeah. um, When I got drafted by L.A., um, obviously an awesome day. Uh, And it was it was neat to be going, you know, not it's different. College and NBA is different. But when you think of the Lakers, you think of places like Duke. Um, So I felt like that was a pretty nice, natural fit where I had experienced both the love, the adoration and the hate that comes with playing at a place like Duke. Um, And similarly, that's how it was with the Lakers. Um, unfortunately the three years I was there, we just weren't very good. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I went to a team, uh, with Mike D'Antoni, that was an awesome fit for me. Um, you know, kind of had the first month or two where I wasn't playing a ton. And then he was very clear, like, we're going to start playing you in December. Um, you know, got around Christmas time, started playing and had a pretty good rookie year where I shot it decently well. And, um, you know. Felt like I could have a career and signed a two-year deal to come back. And then they made a change in coach um, uh, to a completely different style, which is part of the game, Um, and kind of transitioned to, at the time, my second year, I actually started a lot of games for us. Um, But at 6'11", I started a small forward uh, just because it was what we needed. And I remember seeing – it's not really a stat, but a compilation of numbers that were – you know they had like the average height for each position the the range of the normal you know height for each position in the NBA that played significant minutes and there were there were two outliers for small forward minutes um one was myself and the other was Kevin Durant and I was like oh I think I'm pretty good but um I, you know there aren't many people in the world that have ever been Kevin Durant um <laughs> so I wasn't in a great spot uh but as my dad would always say, he uh, says to this day to us, producer perish. Um, so I, I didn't play well enough to, to keep that going um, and kind of had to make the transition on to, to playing overseas, which I continue to do.
0: Yeah. And take me through just really quickly a little bit of what your overseas career has been like. You're, you're in Japan now. Is that correct?
4: I am. Yeah. Um, I, I spent a year in Spain in the ACB on a team called Real Betis, um, the ACB outside of the nba for a country league is about as good as it gets um you know obviously there's euro league the compilation of multiple countries but just from a country's league um the acb is is right below or or below the nba i think as that next level and uh i personally played decently well i was one of the leading scorers in the league but my team did not do well um and, and uh overseas that tends to be um really the end all be all um and when I went there, the goal was to get back to the NBA. It was not to stay in Europe. Um, so my team did not do well enough that I was going to have an opportunity to come back to the States. Um, and, and I had played periodically in the, the D League at the time, the G League now, and, and statistically done very well. So I, I didn't want to you know, try and grind it out there after I had put up really good numbers doing that already. That wasn't going to be the difference maker for me. Um, and got the opportunity to, to go play in Japan, um, which at the time was like a really growing league. The Asia market, obviously, has China, South Korea. It's really blown up from a basketball perspective, and I kind of hit it right at the right time um, and took the opportunity. I, I thought it would be fun to really be kind of a main cog on a team where I um, could be very aggressive offensively and, and you know, work on my game, show a lot of new things. And, uh, you know, the league has grown a bunch, even in the years that I've been there. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. I've, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the culture, the experience of being in new places. Um, in Spain, I lived in Sevilla, Southern Spain, lived in a soccer player's house with a pool and the whole deal of hot tub. So there was no complaints there. Um, and awesome to, to live and play right in Tokyo, um, play, in Shibuya in Tokyo, right in the heart of Tokyo. So pretty cool, uh, pretty cool experience for me, for my family, my kids. Um, so and get to play the game that I love and do pretty well doing it. So it's been fun.
0: Have you thought at all about what comes after basketball? I mean, I know you're you're not exactly close to winding down yet, but have you thought about, you know, that phase of your life?
4: Yeah, you know, I, I always say that you know, I've been very fortunate and blessed to come from an awesome family um, with two awesome parents, um, brother, sister, to have graduated from Duke with a degree in public policy and certificate of uh, management studies, uh, marketing awesome. and management studies. Um, I've always known that I've been very blessed, and, and I've never fully wanted to think about what's next, only because I know a lot of guys don't have all that stuff, right? They have to be all in on the game. Um, it's It's their livelihood. Um, but as i have started to get older, hitting 31, you have to start thinking about that. Um, not that that's old, but just, you know, towards that middle, late part of your career as a basketball player, hopefully. Um, and so, yeah, beginning stages of starting to figure that out. Um, I won't leave anything. Uh, I, won't, I won't say anything, too. But any of you Duke fans, you're more than welcome to DM me and uh, give me a Really great, high-paying job if you like. <laughs> hey,
0: Sean, how about you? What what what's your Duke career been? I, I think you're following your parents' footsteps, and you're an educator, right?
4: That's
2: right. Um, the first thing I did out of college was went to a place called Creative Artists Agency out in Los Angeles. I did the mailroom grind and worked for their head of baseball for just under a year.
0: Yeah, they're uh, huge. Got- they're 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 like the one of the biggest agencies out there. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And I got that experience. I loved it. Uh, also. I had aspirations of being Ari Gold from Entourage. Uh, and then when I went and lived it, I realized that it maybe wasn't totally aligned with my family goals. And um, so I jumped over into education. I worked at a school in Santa Monica for two years, came back to Durham, worked in a startup uh, for, with another Duke founder, a four-time like all-American field hockey player. Um, she still runs her company in Durham. And then um, jumped over to a place here in Raleigh, Uh, For three years, and actually, today uh, was my first day back at Ravenscroft. So uh, it's come full circle. I'm wrapping up a master's degree right now up at Penn in educational leadership, and um, kind of fully all in on education.
1: And guys, before we we wrap up with our uh, traditional Coach K story question that we ask of of all the former players that come on, um, I did want to know just for for both of you, uh, which guys who you you played with at Duke. Uh, are you sort of still in touch with, whether that's in pickup games or just sort of keeping up with their post-basketball careers? We'll have the same for one at least.
4: Uh. (laughs) Yeah, Andre Dawkins, uh, we were both in each other's weddings. Um, You know, he's one of my best friends. Uh, I won't, you know, everybody listening to this podcast, you can always listen to Andre's pod. As well. It's not one or the other. You, you listen we
1: we, we are we're we're supporters of the whole Duke basketball podcast family. If that's Andre Dawkins, Sheldon Williams, JJ Reddick. Uh it's you know, if you got a Duke degree and you like basketball, it seems like you have a podcast these days. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's true.
4: I'll have one next, don't worry.
2: <laughs> Everyone, we laugh, but when I when I graduated, there was an old NCAA commercial that says ninety-nine percent of athletes go pro in something other than sports. The year I left Duke, I was the only one who went pro in something other than sports. Um, everyone went to the NBA, even, uh, uh, the one and duns and Quinn. And, um, so our lifestyles were very different as you might imagine. Um, but when guys came through LA, I try to see them if they played the Lakers, um, and now I go back to K Academy every year and that's like a great check-in. I saw Quinn this year. I saw him at a game this year. Quinn is by far just the guy that I give the most credit to sort of giving me a shot to to be on that team and help me get there physically. Um, I check in with Matt Jones from time to time. Marshall and I recently just connected on LinkedIn because he's headed to Harvard Business School, which I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm super proud of him and um, so, you know, regularly probably, you know, it's not a weekly phone call or anything like that, but we we stay in touch, especially with social media now that's made it a lot easier. All
0: right, guys, it's time to wrap it up. And, and this is how we wrap up all our interviews with uh, with former Duke players. You know, Ryan, I was actually going to do something different and ask you for a John Shire story because we are now transitioning. I usually ask for the Coach K story, but you kind of told one. With the story of, uh, uh, you know, when you were when you were visiting Duke and him and Nolan going at it, going at each other in in the uh, in the pickup game. So I'm just going to ask you guys for your best coach case story, you know, something like where he motivated the team in some crazy way or whatever else it may be. Uh, I, I tell you what, Sean, why don't you go first?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you kind of two quick ones. Uh, the first was when I made the team. It was basically, I was told that I made the team and then it was like, you're playing pickup the next day. It was a very short transition. And so early on, um, I was the 10th man. Emil had been hurt and the other walk on Nick Pagliuca had a had really big internship. So he was out that summer. And, um, so I was, I literally just dropped into 10th man. I mean, imagine going from just the kid that's in college to go guard, uh, Grayson Allen or whoever. Um, And so we had a practice. I was so committed to just knowing every position and every play. I knew that because the roster, just the way it was structured, I might have to go with the fours for something. And so there was a practice we wrapped up and we were sitting all on the bench in the practice center. And coach said, I I won't remember it verbatim. I probably like blacked out in joy when he said it, but um, he essentially said, if everyone did, What Sean did today, we will be really good. And what he said I did, it wasn't about playing, but he said, Sean knows exactly what he is and is not. And what he is supposed to do and what he's not supposed to do. And he does exactly what he's supposed to do. So he doesn't, I don't, I never tried to do anything more than exactly what was needed from the walk-on that got dropped in yesterday. Uh, And so the larger point was we have a really talented team, which he obviously saw early on, but Everybody has to be willing to accept a role on the team and be really, really good at that role for it to gel. Um, The other one, when we were, when he was a senior and graduating, you guys might be familiar with the ACC barnstorming. I'm not sure if that's still happening, Uh, but you play local pickup games against the local high school kids. um, I played for Ravenscroft's team that year against the barnstormers. And at halftime, we did a three point shootout. It was a silly, quick little thing. Um, And I ended up in an overtime match, basically, with Scott Wood from NC State. And the overtime was one shot from the red volleyball line. So it was like deeper than an MVP. It was a chuck. And he met – it was just one, sudden death. And he missed, and I made it. So I won the three-point contest. Um, And it made the little local paper because (laughs) local, you know, high school kid. So weeks later, I'm at K Academy. And I'm sitting at the scores table working uh, as a manager, taking stats or something. And someone made a play that was pretty athletic, which you don't regularly see at K Academy um, in the most respectful way I can say that. Um, And so I said, wow, it's not, you know, you don't see that every day at K Academy. And he was sitting, it wasn't being, I wasn't saying it to him. He just was in the vicinity sitting at the scores table. And he turned and he said, it's not every day that someone beats Scott Wood in a three-point contest. And just dropped the mic. <laughs> and I had no idea that was even on his radar. And I remember thinking, this guy knows everything. He, does, he just – he's everywhere. Uh, so those are my two probable favorites. All
0: right. What you got, Ryan? Bring it, baby.
4: Yeah, I'll give two. I mean – Just I know we brought up this Miami game a few times, but just the sound bite or seeing in a video him saying, you know, that was, I think he might at the time, he was probably being a little nice. But I think at the time he said it was the greatest performance in Cameron or one of the greatest performances in Cameron's history. Um, You know, having that sound bite is pretty cool um, to be able to share with people and uh, not that I'm boasting, but I'll, I'll boast to my son. I'll hide this. I'll, I'll say I had 40-something to my to my kids when I get a little older. Um, uh, that, and then just a small little – every once in a while. So before the game, you know, we're, we'd have the assistant coach who writes up on the board about the, the other starting five, the other players, all those things. And coach would be out in the coach's locker room, kind of the coach's meeting room. And then the assistant coach would finish. We'd kind of be sitting there, and he'd come in, and he'd talk. Uh, most of the time, we'd put up, you know, a word like – pressure or you know whatever and you just talk about what we have to do it wasn't it was more motivational um but my favorite times it wouldn't happen often um if it were a big game where you feel it, he'd come in and he, you know he'd be very determined walk and you'd come in and he'd just look around at everybody and he would just scream like a primal scream like
0: ah
4: and everybody would just get up and just start screaming and jumping up and down and, you know, he's an older guy. He's had his hips done. I mean, the whole thing. But he – I mean, in those moments, you always knew it. But he just wanted to win so bad. Um, and, and it just – he took you with him. Um, You know, and as a coach, there's not every coach can say that uh, from a motivational perspective. I mean, he's obviously a great coach when it comes to X's and O's and all those other, other things. But how he – just brings the team with him with his desire to win. Um, I just, I always love those moments. They're like, you're, you're so into it, but you're also smiling because you feel how much he's into it. Um, and again, it wouldn't happen often, but when it did, we didn't lose many of those games.
0: Hey, Ryan, really quick before we go, um, John Shire obviously was a teammate of yours. Tell me your reaction when you heard that he was going to get the job and, and you know what do you think about him taking over the program?
4: I mean, I, I was super pumped. Um, obviously, very cool to have played with the guy. Um, and, and he was a great teammate, a great leader for us, just like a rock, man. He would just, you know, he showed up every day. Um, and and uh, to have kind of transitioned from being on the the staff and then to be the head coach, like he was already such a big part of recruiting. And as we know, that's, that's you know, obviously you have to be able to coach, but that's a, a, a starting block for a great program. Like, dude, you have to bring great players in. Um, and that transition was already going to be, you know, you just knew that was going to be s- successful. Um, and, and it just literally, had just come off seeing coach K, um, you know, from the, the coaching side of it, being in those meetings. Um, and obviously he's going to be his own, his own person, his own coach, but you got a chance to work under, you got a chance to play for, and then work under, um, the greatest coach of all time. He's obviously, that's going to, some amazing stuff's going to gonna be in that brain from him. Um, So I'm super pumped. I think the transition, obviously he's gotta take control of the program. It's not gonna be exactly the same. Um, You see like new hires, I think uh, not long ago they had the GM uh, that now is gone. So there's gonna be some changes and just the the shift in college basketball and NIL and everything. I think Duke has really been ahead on that. And with John being a younger coach, um, somebody who's not so far removed from having played, um, I think he's he's really accepting and, and growing fast with that as it grows. Um, so so I'm excited for him. Um, you know, obviously if you have a, a third or a fourth or whatever of Coach K's career, you're a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, so uh, obviously as as just fans, there's high expectations, but you know, you know, he's he's gonna do great um in the short term and the long term.
1: Well, Sean and Ryan Kelly, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today, walking through your Duke careers, uh, your impressions of the program, all that kind of stuff. I think it was it was a lot of fun. So uh, we appreciate you being here and, and best of luck in whether it's back at basketball or, or back in the classroom or or at the academy of some sort. Uh, we, we wish you guys nothing but the best and hope to see you at, at a lot of games at Cameron Indoor in the future. Thank you. And guys, I'm going to
2: quickly plug one one thing. Yes, Duke fans and appreciate you guys giving me a second to do it Um, on November 6th. I'm running in the New York City Marathon, uh, raising money for the Jimmy V Foundation, partly to honor coach as he retires, uh, among just other people I know that have battled cancer. I think we all know people. Um, So I'm fundraising to do it. I'm raising right through Jimmy V uh, Foundation. People can just find me on social media. I don't think I'm particularly hard to find, uh, to find out, but I'd love to see some Duke fans rally around that. Um, especially given coach's relationship with Jimmy V uh, at that time would, would, absolutely appreciate seeing some support there. So thank you guys for, for
3: considering that. And for people out there, we will include that in the show notes as well. So whenever people get this episode, you can click right there and go straight to that web page. That's going to be awesome. Looking forward to a whole, I mean, I, I, I've done a half marathon before. A marathon is another beast. So kudos to you for even taking on that challenge, man. That's awesome.
2: I ran my first half
1: yesterday and I'm hurting today. (laughs) Well, good, Uh, good, good luck with that. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely have the link in the, uh, in the show notes. So hopefully listeners can, can check that out guys. Good luck. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime.
0: Okay. That's going to do it for episode 432 of the DBR podcast. We'll be back very soon to talk more about everything happening in Duke sports. By the way, we want your emails. Send us questions, comments, all that jazz. And maybe we'll read it on the show, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That's how you reach us. For Donald and Sam, I am Jason Evans. And now it is time for the Duke band to play us out and take us home.